Hello, and welcome to The Kink Perspective. My name's Chris. I'm a psychotherapist and consultant. I am back today on a secondary kind of a follow-up episode to what I started yesterday with risk and sexual, human sexual behavior and emotional bleed. And there's quite a few aspects to this topic. Uh, the more I started looking into it, I'm not going to devote too much more time to this because, I mean, this is an entire area of study in itself. So what I really thought another part of this I wanted to kind of hone in on today was <clears throat> obviously sensi- sensation-seeking personalities, right? There's quite a few of us that obviously we enter this lifestyle because the whole sense of itself as far as why we are drawn to it. It's the same, you can see the same similarities in people who go bungee jumping or into extreme sports. They're in it for a thrill and that thrill kind of drives them. So when I start looking more at this subject, it really, there is a tie here. So understanding this captivating interplay of thrills and risk and the emotional aftermath we really have to start then traversing human desires and these fascinating intricacies of our emotional and erotic psyches because that's what's the driver there. Those of us who come to the lifestyle, those of us who go into the swinging world or the poly world, for whatever reason, there is something that's drawing us there. But I'm not focusing on the other aspects. I'm going to really kind of today, like I said, focus on the sensation-seeking part. So what is this? What is this realm of sensation-seeking? And individuals who really quest for these novel and intense experiences that drive them to explore these uncharted territories of themselves or BDSM or sports or whatever the case may be, Um, really start to look for unanswered questions within themselves. What is driving maybe their eroticism or their sexuality as far as their proclivities and what they are interested in, let alone what's going to be the thing that pushes them further. Um, There was one study um, in which this person's uh, pioneering work really delved into this innate disposition People with this personality, they don't seek only the physical sensations, but also the psychological allure of the uncertainty that's brought with it. So we're really now starting to understand a little bit more, and I'm getting a bigger grasp of, you know, we're we're not just talking anymore about impact sessions or even typical rope bondage, we're starting to go into the areas that take us a little deeper down the rabbit hole of the lifestyle community itself. Now, this becomes a delicate dance on this tightrope of desire where the thrills lie in the balance between the known and the unknown. And specifically within the world and the relevance to our lifestyle community, this dynamic interplay of bondage and domination and submission and more becomes a playground for for sensation seekers to satisfy these appetites for some 
they have to continue at a pace and at a level at which they can satiate that need but for some they're going to have to go deeper until they can find out what's kind of hitting their where they're hitting that wall now the this quest for novelty and excitement is deeply rooted in the psychological sensation seeking now zuckerman's research for instance he highlighted that individuals with high sensation sensation seeking tendencies sorry there's a lot of s's in there are drawn to thrilling experiences that stimulate their senses and emotions. Now, within the context of our lifestyle, the desire for these intense situations, these sensations, this erotic play, and this exploration of power dynamics align perfectly with somebody who kind of fits in this personality type of sensation-seeking. They literally crave for the unfamiliar because that's the driver. And... I think almost every one of us can sit back and see each person within our lifestyle that says, um, you know, hey, I know that person. They're, they're pushing the limits. They're pushing the envelopes in their relationship. They're happy. They're not doing it in a necessarily a dangerous way, but they're really kind of pushing and testing the limitations or their limitations at that. Now, this quest for novelty and excitement um, does have its own drawbacks as well and i'm gonna i'm gonna get into that here in a little bit and even what are the aftermaths and sometimes what we tend not to understand in this intersection where psychology and desire converge what we're really trying to or what i'm trying to offer here is a really valuable insight into this intricate world of sensation seeking personalities and this erotic desire to go further and what then happens next? Because we're so interested in getting to the point so quick, we're not really registering what's going to happen after. Which then becomes the draw of why we keep doing it. You can even equate it to uh, people who use substance, who are substance abuse, right? So some sort of drugs or alcohol where they're searching for that same endorphin high. So... What we know when we look at emotional bleed and sensation-seeking. As scenes unfold, this profound emotional aftermath begins to reveal itself. The phenomenon known as emotional bleed starts to come into picture. Now, I want you to think about this. A person with this personality type, this sensation-seeking person, they're immersed in an intense... BDSM scene. Maybe they're doing electro play, they're doing needle play, maybe they are doing some sort of form of water torture, whatever the case may be. Their senses become heightened. And even a better example would be sensory deprivation, right? Now, at this moment, some boundaries can become blurred and emotions become electrified because they're feeling, sensing, in some cases, smelling and tasting everything that's coming at them at once. Now, it's no wonder that these emotional imprints persist beyond the scene and they transcend the boundaries of the fantasy and reality and they really start to blur these lines because then we're asking for ourselves to um, find the same experience over and over. Now, for some, they can. They can achieve this state. But what we're not asking ourselves is at what cost either now 
yesterday I talked about the paper, uh, the work by Orazi and Van Leyer, which dove into the bleed effect, um, where these extraordinary experiences leave a trace in everyday life. There are some other case studies that illuminate the emotional journey of sensation seeking as these types of people navigate the intricate maze of emotions post BDSM scenes, but are struggling to find a sense of balance because they can't regain the stasis and their emotional state pre-scene after the scene, if that makes any sense. So how they were feeling before, once they entered, their emotional state changed and now they can't get back to an equilibrium. Uh, now, the research here is really, really light, right? So I'm not going to be, I can't tell you, and I don't like to bring out a lot of case studies because unfortunately, well, this world isn't very well studied and as some recent discussions have had online, no matter how much people think that BDSM is like overly researched, it really isn't. And the one primary reason that stops a lot of research in this world is because of ethics committees and approval, because it's hard design to design a research case study that would surround something like this. But I'm not going to go into all of that. That's not really the point. But the complexities of the emotional bleed, if I'm looking at other areas and trying to draw a comparison, you can think of it this way. Someone who is going to a Super Bowl or an Olympic event, an athlete, and how they feel when they're psyching themselves up for the event, and then they're in the event, and then when they come out of it, it's that big release of emotion, but then they're struggling. Sometimes they fall into depression or heavy anxiety because they can't find themselves before. So if I'm looking at a cross parallel here and we're navigating this intense emotional and erotic landscape of BDSM, then these narratives underscore the complexity of the of emotional bleed and an experience that can be both exhilarating and challenging reveals this undeniable connection between the psyche and the thrill seeking at heart. Now, the psychology of emotional bleed and sensation seekers reveals an intriguing paradox here. Now, on one hand, it's a testament to the intensity and the authenticity of BDSM experiences that we all know and care about where individuals are fully immersed in the moment, giving of themselves full effort, full consent, and fully wrapping themselves in what's going on. There's nothing else but, but those two people that are involved in the scene or however many are in the scene. Now, on the other hand, it does raise a question about the boundaries between reality and fantasy. And this work that... Arazi and Van Leer did offers the valuable insight into the psychological processes of the play itself. Now they emphasize that the tension between the extraordinary experiences and everyday life intensifies that emotional bleed, bleed post scene. Now for sensation seekers, this tension can manifest as an internal conflict where the desire for the intense experiences clashes with the need to ground themselves in the mundane. Now what does that all mean? That means that we've now gone to these intense experiences on the weekend where we're playing with our dominant or playing with our submissive, and then we've got to return back to normal life. So normal life is not no longer coping for us in a manner which actually would be healthy, that we are now trying to process 
what we've experienced and bring that sensation into our regular life because now we're feeling our regular day-to-day life is too mundane, it's too drab. And it's quite interesting looking at this as a comparison. Now, this psychological tightrope that we're talking about walking here requires this really delicate balance for a lot of people, especially the deeper we go. And I'm not talking, this isn't a jab or a poke. I'm not talking about people who just show up at a dungeon party once a month and they're kind of just playing kink, right? And then they're just having sex. I'm not talking about that. I am talking about people involved heavily in the lifestyle that are actually taking sometimes weeks or months to build scenes um, that are really, they're more committed to this lifestyle. So we go beyond the day players or the weekend warriors, if you will. <clears throat> the dynamics that we're, I'm starting to unravel and look at here sheds a light on this emotional landscape of our community and our lifestyle. And some of the things that we may or may not even face. Now, how is there, is there a responsible thrill-seeking and risk assessment profile one can create? Well, the journey into sensation-seeking wouldn't be complete without a discussion on responsible thrill-seeking. Now, psychology reveals that the allure of risk-taking is intoxicating, of course, and it provides this escapism for us, right? It's fantasy. It's not real. However, within the realm of BDSM, the emphasis on consensual play and risk assessment is paramount. We can prep as much as we can. We can be ready, but we're not. there's no 100% guarantee everything will go the way it's supposed to go. Now, this balancing act of thrill and the unknown with the elements of safety on informed decisions intensifies these experiences. And exploring this responsibility of ours unveils a narrative of empowerment where individuals embrace their desires while ensuring their emotional well-being remaining a top priority. And I don't think a lot of us do. I, I don't think many people go into a scene going, God, how am I going to feel afterwards? It's like we we'll go to a scene and I'm like, I can't wait to dive in. Cool. I'm all in too. And then what? We don't prep for this, and I talked about this yesterday. So when we're looking at these psychological aspects of trying to be responsible while thrill-seeking, it's very essential to understand. It's not about being reckless. Instead, it's, it's a deliberate choice to explore the boundaries of one's desires and erotic pleasures in a responsible manner. And our community... We emphasize the importance of informed consent and risk assessment, but we're not emphasizing at most a lot of the time self-care or self-responsibility and looking out for our emotional well-being. And we're not, I'm not just saying that these people are merely adrenaline junkies just looking for one thrill, pardon me, one thrill from the moment to the next. But rather they're conscientious explorers of their desires, especially in an erotic level. And these people tend to showcase a deeper understanding of their own psychological, erotic, and emotional needs, and they just tend to act them out more than other people do. Now, pardon me, this balance between thrill and responsibility 
inside of the lifestyle where it's truly shining gives us an insight in to how far somebody's willing to go. But now we have to consider the other side as much as they're willing to push and they want to stay, you know, and bring that thrill and that emotional experience of that scene and fantasy and then coping afterwards. So how are we going to start coping with this emotional bleed? And I talked a little bit about this yesterday, but when I'm looking at specifically somebody on the more intense level of BDSM, and we've all, like I said, I've seen it, I've read stories about it. When I'm looking at sensation seekers alone, this emotional bleed becomes a hugely tiered experience that it demands a lot more attention because the emotions here are far more complex. They can include things like exhilaration, vulnerability, introspection, self-indulgence, uncontrollable urges. Not in a necessarily unhealthy way, but not necessarily in a way that we're considering everything we are doing. And this becomes a roller coaster ride through our through their psyche. Now coping mechanisms become essential at this point. And academic resources and papers offer some insights into the efficacy of certain strategies and psychology provides tools for managing emotional bleed from mindfulness techniques to open communications with our partners. And that's great. And I talked about these things yesterday, but the more that I've had time to think about it, I think we have to start spending the bigger the scene. I think we have to also invest how much more time we are putting into ourselves on an emotional level and psychological level on what may happen after the scene ends days later, weeks later. And when we, when we get into the, part about aftermath and you know or not aftermath aftercare and we're always yes we're checking in with our sub or our dom and we're making sure everybody's okay but we don't unnecessarily understand what are the lingering effects going to be and i'm not trying let me be very clear i don't want to give any you know hints like somebody may be thinking i'm hinting at something like trauma it's not a trauma but it's we're having an a difficulty separating and disconnecting from the fantasy. And we have to understand that while realized stories that illuminate the path of coping and sh- showcase the resilience of people who are of this personality type as they you know, seem to be okay with their emotional aftermath and they somehow walk with grace and their self-awareness and they're very profound, it doesn't necessarily mean that in two or three days they're going to be okay. Now, when we're talking, getting to the more roots of the, psycholo- the psychology of coping with emotional bleed in these, within this specific group, this becomes the testament to human adaptability. Because now we're just going from self-journey and self-discovery where individuals tap into their psychological resources to navigate their emotional complexity of the lifestyle experiences that they're having. Now, there aren't too many case studies on this, but there are a lot of personal narratives that shed light on the diversity of coping mechanisms as far as doing what I'm discussing, what I'm talking about. And these emphasize the importance of self-awareness and emotional intelligence. The higher the level of emotional intelligence and self-awareness, the, the, 
stronger psychologically and emotionally you are to be able to cope with and deal with emotional bleed post scene on depending on the intensity and level of the scene itself. I've been involved in scenes myself that last two or three hours. Now, you have to come down from that. You have to come down from that intensity. Even if you, as you wind a scene down, we can't necessarily wind down emotionally or psychologically in what just happened. Maybe being berated or degraded for two hours straight or, or you know, flogged. So we have to understand that we we can look at some of these people and go, great, you know, you've got incredible endurance, physiological strength, and you have a great psychological resiliency and well-being. But what's going to happen next if you're not prepared and you haven't discussed all of these things? So do we change how aftercare looks? Emotional aftercare, we know, becomes the pillar of support in the BDSM world in our community, whether we're getting it from no one, if we haven't negotiated and we don't want it, and we're doing it ourselves, hopefully, to with our dominant and submissive, or if we're including a wider group, which is the community itself, which does happen and is wonderful. And the dynamics differ for those who the, that are sensation-seeking. Now, the profound impact post-scene and for emotional care offering a sense of closure and comfort for some of these people that are in this world, that doesn't work for them. And we witness this nuanced dance of vulnerability and strength that transition from these intense sensations to emotional connections. Now this exemplifies the depth of the human experience. But is there a cost to that? If they're well-grounded and, and are very in touch and have a high emotional intelligence, they probably have already prepared themselves for begin, you know, prior to this day of or scene and post-scene. And this is where the lines between physicality and psychology, psychology blur because they're trying to chart a path or we are trying to chart a path here from creating a space for healing and growth post scene out of fantasy back to reality and we enter this realm where you know we're looking at vulnerability and strength coexist and that's great but as long as we're actually embracing those two sensations and the phase is an essential part of their journey for all of us not just sensation seekers alone now, we understand the interplay between physical and emotional aftercare and the connection it has for, for many people. And, you know, it becomes that moment where the partners and communities come together and provide this physical and emotional and psychological support for somebody's well-being or both parties' well-being. And we don't want to underscore any of the significance of this phase And I've talked about aftercare. People talk about aftercare left and right. And creating the, the space for individuals to come down and having water, but we're still missing a component when we are having the problem of separating out from the scene where we're still maybe clicked into dom phase and I'm still being talked to or addressed as, you know, sir or master or mistress or ma'am, and we cannot click out of it. And 
we now have moved past emotional aftercare because it's no longer just a mere formality. We're dismissing it because we can't disconnect from fantasy. And this becomes a psychological necessity that ensures we do so in a healthy transition for our own well-being and the well-being of others involved. Now, when I look at sensation-seeking personalities, I often find their journeys very intertwined with their own self-identity exploration. And the experience, their experiences really dive into this transformative power inside of our lifestyle and the scenes that they do. And they tend to be introspecting introspective of their own needs and what they're going to do and how it's going to do how it's going to make them feel and that feeling building up to it and sometimes that leads to growth and growth fuels the journey of self-discovery don't get me wrong here but if they are subjugating their emotional landscape for their self-growth and discovery and how far they can push well, then the boundaries between fantasy and reality are going to continue to blur because there's not going to be any differentiation anymore. The mundane reality will no longer be able to fuel the feelings of fantasy. And that emotional aftermath becomes a catalyst for a lot of things that could be emotionally distressing. Now, Within this self-identity exploration, it becomes this fascinating aspect of where the lifestyle's impact starts. <clears throat> now, we know we can confront our desires, we can confront our fears, our vulnerabilities, even some emotional issues through the lifestyle. And we know that the power of BDSM is transformative itself and as we evolve alongside these physical experiences, they also manifest in an emotional way. But those blurred lines, and I keep referring to this intentionally, create a unique space where individuals then need to click into the fact that they're blurring fantasy and reality. And if it's becoming something that's happening quite often, we are now living no longer, we're living in a deluded state. I'm not necessarily calling someone delusional, but we're deluding our reality with fantasy. And we really need then to start taking a look at ourselves and how healthy our connection to the lifestyle is in an emotional sense. And that's what becomes important because it's about self-care. Part of what I do is about our mental and emotional health and how much that's going to impact us, especially in a world where we get, get so deep in and so sucked in, sometimes we don't know which way is up. So <clears throat> I know this is a lot to unpack over a couple of episodes. This is a little bit more to it. There is, <clears throat> pardon me, quite a bit to all of this. Um, I don't have the time, let alone the resources to go deeper into these subjects. Um, I do encourage you, though, to really start looking into these things for yourself. You know, are you or have you ever dealt with or faced emotional bleed afterwards? Has your intensity pushing a scene made you overlook how you're going to feel afterwards? It's some things to really think about.
and consider. Please let me know in the comments below. Um, if you listen to my show on Spotify, please rate it five stars. I've got some negative people out there who don't like what I have to say and tend to like to downgrade my show for no apparent reason. Um, I do have a book available, Tangled Desires, the intersection between BDSM and psychology. It is available where you buy any of your ebooks. Yes, I am still working on the edit. Yes, I'm very slow about that, but you know what? It took me a year to write the book, so it's going to take me some time to edit it. Please bear with me. Until next time, everybody, be safe, stay king. Thank you.